Welcome to We Got This Covered's Cinemaholics, the weekly movie review talk show where John Negroni and Will Ashton discuss the biggest and best films coming to theaters. So sit back, relax, and pour one out for the two and only Cinemaholics. Welcome once again to Cinemaholics, the official podcast of WeGotThisCover.com. I am your cinema host, Johnny Groney from the Internet, California, and live from the Internet, Pennsylvania, introducing Bill Action. Hey, what's up? I guess this is just my new persona now, but it's basically just me with a new name. So, hey, everybody. Forget all about <laughs> Will Ashton. He's gone. Yeah, we replaced him. It's, mm-hmm. Bill Ashton was formerly a guest on the Will Ashton show on Facebook. Uh, right. But yeah. no one's going to get what, that that's bit now if they don't follow me on Facebook. The deep cuts well, are why we're here. Yeah. Of course, you've already heard his voice. Our resident sound master is here with us today. It's Maverick Hines. It's me. I'm here. I exist. You're about to go on a big camping trip. I am excited? going to the wilderness for mm-hmm. three days to survive and contemplate why it comes at night was such a bad move. I mean, <gasps> what? Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, speaking of which, I mean, this week, no emails, no gimmicks or games. We're diving straight into two oh, featured reviews. We don't have nothing. So they don't love us anymore. That's what you're telling me is that they've stopped talking to us about how much they care about us. We have no emails. No, we just don't have time to get into emails. Then delete everything I just said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that that's what you assumed, is that they don't love us. Well, you said no they didn't emails. didn't say anything? So I was like, I got confused. It must be a thrill to date. Okay, so <laughs> like I said, we're going to dive straight into two featured reviews for the price of free, because the podcast is readily available on the web. We're going to start with It Comes at Night, the latest film from A24. And, uh, you know, A24, it's one of our favorite film production companies. Whenever they come out with a movie... I personally am always into it. Speaking of which, The Lovers came out. Did I even talk about that I thought that you talked about that on the episode I wasn't on. Oh, maybe I did. And that's how forgettable that movie Briefly, was. Briefly, yeah. Um, anyway, then we're going to talk about The Mummy, Universal's official launch into what's being called The Dark Universe that nobody asked for. And uh, yeah, stick around <laughs> for mini-reviews toward the end of this week's show. Real positive episode this week. We're all happy. I know. Well, that's probably because it's Friday. And usually it's Saturday and we're just ready to not do this stuff. But anyway, we're going to, for mini reviews, get into Orange is the New Black Season 5. We'll be talking about Batman and Bill, the latest Hulu documentary about the creation of Batman. Orphan Black Season 5 and My Cousin Rachel. So that's coming at the very end. Just, your, then, just your cousin, Rachel. Not a show. Like you're just going to talk about your cousin. <laughs> mm. That's, I don't even want to talk about that right now because that's some creepy stuff going on in that movie. As Will Ashton, <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot. Will Ashton's alternative persona, Bill Ashton, is going to reveal later. Yes. So let's talk about It Comes at Night because I I just want to go ahead and talk about this yeah, movie. Yeah, let's get into it. Um, so this film, like I said, A24, it's being billed as a rated R horror thriller, if you believe the marketing. But, uh, you know, uh, maybe that's not exactly the case. And I'm going to give you guys a caveat here. We're not going to spoil this movie as we talk about it, but we are going to give away certain things that, like, you're not going to be able to go into the movie blind, like, even sort of blind if you listen to this review. And the reason we're doing that, like, we're not going to give away the ending, but we are going to talk about things that are going to make you get an understanding of what this movie actually is. And so if you're not into that, maybe, I mean, I, I don't know. I think people should. I would say if you want to go in completely, like, cold turkey, just skip to the mummy part of this review or this episode. Yeah. And then just... When you see It Comes at Night, just come back. But I will say, you should listen to this review. I don't think that you should go into It Comes at Night after looking at the title and watching the trailers. Because if you do, you like me, you will be sorely disappointed. 
If, well, but, unless you're Bill Action. And yeah, we're gonna. Get, these are yeah. fighting words I'm hearing right now. <laughs> All right, so let's get into it. So this movie was directed by Trey Edward Schultz. Uh, I'm gonna read the synopsis to you guys, and uh, yeah, secure within a desolate home as an unnatural threat terrorizes the world. A man has established a tenuous domestic order with his wife and son, but this will soon be put to the test when a desperate young family arrives seeking refuge. Like I said, Trey Edward Schultz wrote and directed this movie. It stars Joel Edgerton, Christopher Abbott, Carmen Jogo, and uh, Kevin Harrison Jr., I think is his name. Um, he was in Birth of a Nation. So, oh, was he? Let's start. Yeah, he was. He was. I, I know that just by looking at oh, it. I, I actually, yeah, I didn't catch yeah, yeah. Birth of a Nation. I did, yeah. But yeah, he's in the he is in the movie. And uh, Carmen Jogo, of course, is, was in Selma as Coretta Scott mm-hmm. King. And she's been, she's been a lot of terrific yeah. things. So anyway, Bill Action... Let's uh, let's start with you. Let's start on a positive okay. note. What were your general impressions of It Comes a Night? Yeah, so I guess I'm kind of uh, the outliner here because I'm the one that didn't go in teased by the marketing. I went in only really knowing the poster, and that was an A24 production, and that Joe Egerton was in the movie, and like that was about it. Like I didn't see any TV spots or any teaser, really any footage. I just went in like knowing nothing but the title and the good buzz. And I, I know you guys are dissing on it. You're saying that you didn't like it, but I love this movie. Everything about it, I'm just kind of about. It's it's chilly. I thought it was very well made. It's super atmospheric. It kind of just felt like an old-fashioned horror movie, which, I mean, we're in this really good age for horror movies right now. And I know you guys are going to say that it's not really a horror movie. And it's, it's not. Fair. Could, I'd say <laughs> it just isn't. I mean, it's what would you say? It's like a cabin thriller. It's a thriller. It's a thriller plus a family drama. But there is like a there is so much moodiness to it, and there's so much like atmosphere and like like there's like a this lingering suspense that I don't know. I mean, it, it, I'd say it blurs the line, but I mean, if someone were to call it a thriller, someone call it a horror movie. I don't really, I wouldn't call Ubridge on either of those terms. But I can see why you're very sticking in the mud saying that it's not oh, a horror movie. Okay. John, you are sticking in the mud. You know, I'm just going to say, like, <laughs> we don't disagree on the fact that these things exist in the sure. movie, but I'll just say real quick that all of the things that you're saying are all individually good things in a movie that doesn't serve them well. That has no real payoff, and to me feels like they put things in a movie to mislead you uh, and to sort of sell a movie and honestly, I think it's a bit dishonest. Like everything from the title to the marketing to a lot of the first two acts. That Maverick Wait, wants to say something. No, no, I'm just saying. Let's let Will finish his thing. I, we know. No, I was saying. I, I was gonna say uh, you're still kind of talking more about the marketing, which I don't think is fair when reviewing the film. But you also said that you feel like the first two thirds are that way too. Because I've gone into movies before where the marketing did make the movie seem like something it wasn't. But then, you know, that can be fine if the movie itself, you find that it is a complete thing that doesn't... But the thing is, this movie also tries to convince you it's a horror movie throughout, like up until the very end. At no point when I was watching this movie did it try to say, hey, hey, hey the horror stuff was just to get you in here. No, it, it actually tries to use like horror moments to make you think you're in a horror movie, and then it doesn't actually deliver that. Until, it just yeah. pulls the rug from you. But I think that's what makes it good. No, it doesn't. Because <laughs> no, I agree. No, I think okay, but it, the whole movie it's about deception. Like everything that you're leading up to, you don't know. Like no, the you, movie's you, about paranoia. Well, it's about paranoia too, but it's also trying to figure out who is who and 
if everyone's allegiances are actually appropriate. Yeah, that's dealing with paranoia, but I feel it also is also that and I'm, I'm kind of speaking in tongues. It's also trying to, to figure out who these characters are and trying to figure out where they're coming from. So I think that's appropriate. Which, if honestly, if you take out all of the moments where they, they basically put in horror scenes and horror moments to make you think that this movie was about an existential threat. And then what the direct and what the director does instead is he's like, no, none of that stuff is relevant. Instead, it's just going to be a very bland story. Because well, like that's the thing. If the family drama had been really good and if they hadn't have tried to rely on like phony horror stuff that or, or if the family drama count. was a focal point, like if they yeah. made it seem important, it would have I don't know. Then yeah. it's it, the movie sets you up to be disappointed basically until the very last like mm. i mean it, it pretends it's a horror movie until the final scene like it's not like it kind of leads into it towards the end it's like horror movie horror movie psych bye yeah like that's <laughs> but we should do we keep doing general impressions i mean maverick Hines, what was your take well let's uh, will are you finished with yours before i don't want to well i want to i was curious to hear what you said about it first um so i went in halfway as far as like i i had I'd seen some marketing and I had seen, you know, some posters and stuff like that. If you guys remember, this was actually my most anticipated movie of the summer when we did that that list. So I was really excited because yeah. I love horror movies, thriller movies, since that's what this is. Mm. I, I love that kind of stuff. So I was really excited. Um, I intentionally tried to keep myself away from some of the marketing because in horror movies, from my experience, they usually don't do the movie justice or they ruin it or something like that. So I, I try to stay away. But I'd seen some. Um, and for the first... I mean, for most of the movie, I was like, I was, I was into it. I was never bored. I was never distracted. I was never like, you know, snap back into reality. This, this is a, you know, I'm in a movie right now. Like I, I felt like I was there. Um, so a lot of the kudos I can give is that the cinematography, the score, the settings, the colors, all this stuff was fantastic in my opinion. I thought this, everything as far as the experience was great. Where it fell short for me was the plot and what exactly this movie was trying to sell me because I just when the final scene happened, that final sequence, I think I literally said, said, no, that's not the end of the movie. Like what? <laughs> no. And that was just like, and that was the moment where I was like, wow. Like I was so excited for so long in this movie for it to end the way it ended. I was really disappointed super fast. Like it just ruined a lot of that experience for me. Um, and I felt like there were a lot of things that they presented, but did not explain that seemed pretty useless to the what the end plot was. Um, there were a lot of moments where they had these these kind of, you know, Travis is having these dream sequences, and I don't want to give any of those away, but he's having these nightmares that reoccur, and they do a great job of blurring the lines between what's real and what's a nightmare, and I liked that. But a lot of those dream sequences and nightmares showed things and presented ideas and themes and threats and whatever that had nothing to do with how the movie ended. Okay, I guess I shouldn't say... Or what the movie is really about. Yeah, I I shouldn't say nothing because I'm sure there were hints and, you know, like like you guys said, themes of paranoia and isolation and family and all that Well, it's all on the nose is the thing. A lot of the symbolism in this movie is on the nose. There's not a lot of surprise or like... I mean, they say... They give you the thesis of the movie in like the first couple of scenes. Yeah. So like the fact that it just keeps doing that for a couple of hours and is like, we're not going to introduce anything new, but we're going to make you think we are. And then we don't. That's what to me gets into like that yeah. one complaint and be fair. I don't, I don't think this is a terrible movie or anything. It may I, seem like, I that. don't either. I'm just contesting. Well, uh, bill actions. Yeah. Earlier one, one more thing I will say 
and this is kind of a specific detail, but the, the trailer I did see kind of painted this like romance between Travis and this girl that we don't know from the, the, the trailer. And it makes it seem like that's going to be a big deal. And it's like, you go in and there's like one nightmare he has and like one look and that's it. And they don't, and again, it's one of those things they presented, they made it seem like it was going to be a lot of stuff with that. Right. I mean, just saying like, there is something interesting there with the Travis character and being like, Hey, here's a character who craves intimacy, Mm -hmm. you know, and who wants, he, he has this realization. He'll never be able to start his own family. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think they accurately, or I don't think they do a lot with that at all. They just sort of drop it and then, Move on to other things. Well, that's kind of that's well. I was gonna say the thing that remind that remind me of was in in the witch. Mm-hmm. There's like those scenes where like the one brother I forget his name, but the one brother kind of lingers at his daughter or not his daughter. I'm sorry, his, his sister, sister yeah. because that's like the only female he's ever seen in his life, mm-hmm. and that's like kind of his introduction to sexuality because he's like a se- well, they're both like seven, sixteen or seventeen year old kids. Yeah, and they're coming into puberty in their own. And that's what that kind of reminded me of is that this idea, like you said, like this kid is never gonna have a family. He's never gonna have uh, traditional uh, maturity so like the idea that he would see someone other than his mom during this pivotal moment growing up is what I thought those scenes represented but I can see why if you were expecting those to be like a big pivotal thing at the end it's it, not necessarily like that. that I expected them to be a, a big pivotal thing it's that and, and I totally agree with both of you I think those are like I agree that those were what he was presented with and that's what he was going through what my anger or whatever frustration with the moment is is that they had those, those things. They presented the idea of him like dealing with this, but then it went nowhere. And, and it seems like that was a kind of a common thing throughout the movie. They presented these little things that just kind of, Oh, well you don't need to worry about that anymore because this is the ending now. See, that's not really, I don't feel like that's more of a plot thing though. I feel like that's more of a character moment. That's just building Travis to make him more human. So that we get to the final moment. That's why I think it hits more, but I well, mean, I would say that, that that would, I would agree with you if like, what happens in the third act feels like it flows believably from the middle. Whereas like it, instead it just sort of, it that doesn't feel like a character moment because they do repeat it over and over again. They put a lot of emphasis on it and they, they just don't really follow through on Travis as a character of agency mm-hmm. because you know, I, I, I'm just saying like there, there are a lot of times when I, I guess I should get into my general, but I don't think, I don't think character or Travis should be a character of agency though. I think the dad, is the character which, of which goes into part of my problem is that the movie doesn't know who's who its protagonist is half the time. Yeah. I don't agree with that really either. I, wanna, it, it, I think I think they should have been better with it being an ensemble, and instead it's like it shifts perspectives so abruptly, and like it pay it doesn't pay any attention to the Sarah character. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I agree with that. Well, just I'll finish one thing before John does his, to Will's point about how that was building him up to be more human. So when the ending happened, it made you know it hit more. I would agree with that if the ending hit me in that way, but I was so full of confusion and like disbelief that that was the ending that I wasn't able to feel the impact of what the ending was, which I'm slightly different on. I, when the climax happened, I knew it was the climax and mm-hmm. I was already starting to feel a little bit disappointed, which is probably why like, you know, coming away from this movie, uh, my general impression is that it's not a bad movie. It isn't. It's actually better than most horror movies you might watch this year. Even though it's not really a horror movie. If you want to call it a horror movie because there are horror things in it, I get that. But I, I think that this is this is a movie that does have great atmosphere. That it does like Trey Edward Schultz is so good at nailing dread mm-hmm. and just making you like a bunch of characters and just dread what's gonna happen to them. 
Um, I didn't see his debut feature, Krisha, but I've heard much of the same thing. And yeah, same here. And so, like, I I definitely can see why he was given this project, and I I want to see more from him. Uh, the things I like about this movie, I think Maverick, you you all you touched specifically on a couple of things, but just just what they were able to accomplish with like putting me into a location where I felt like I was in the dark, yeah. where I felt mm-hmm. like I was in this house with them. The way that he frames certain shots is very unique and creative, and in, just like for somebody who watches a lot of movies, that's that's something to really that's a great thing to get out of it. Mm-hmm. If you watch a lot of movies and you're kind of sick of a lot of the same same shots, same gimmicks, this is a movie that does feel pretty refreshing. A twenty four is good about that. Um, none of my complaints have anything to do with the pacing and a lot of the, the the plot itself. I do disagree with Maverick a little bit. I don't think the plot is necessarily the problem. I think the story is the problem. I think I might have just used the word plot wrong. That might be a sin of sobriety issue. (laughs) Uh, I I think that, well, the the distinction is that because you said, because it was a bit of a paradox for you to say that you thought you had issues with a plot, but you're fine with the pacing. Because I think if the pacing is right, usually that means the plot is. Okay. Then I, I I think I just misused the word plot. (laughs) When you're talking about, you're talking about like, what I think you were trying to say is that the story, the ideas here and how they relate to each other and what this movie is about. That one. That is where I think you and I have a lot of issues. I can see that, uh, that, Bill Action is really enjoying how the tropes are subverted, which I get because I also was really into this movie when I started to realize that it was putting like the normal zombie survivalist stuff on its head. Mm-hmm. That was where the movie found its stride. My issue was that I wanted to watch that movie. And over and over again, they kept trying to tell me that this was a horror movie, that this was no, 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 no. Like, don't pay attention to all of this, like, family drama stuff that's sort of interesting, but ultimately isn't going to be all that compelling. Uh, I mean, the message of this movie is that, like, you know, trust in your family or, like, trust in your family above everyone else can turn into a bad thing. That's that's what this movie is trying to say, and that's fine. But when you also put in all of these moments of, like, also, there is a secret lurking in the night that could get you at any moment. And, like, they do so many things to keep you believing that, distracting you from what is more interesting in the movie. Like, you know, there, there's great symbolism here. The red door could have been used more effectively. Like, I was sitting there. I was like, what are they trying to say with the red door? You know, like, I was trying to, like, you know, turn my brain on for that. But then it was like... Also, we could do jump scares and also something really weird and uh, their paranoia could come to be their downfall and things like that. And it just jumps around between all of these ideas and it just feels like a movie that is trying to have it all. And I think it just should have committed to being a subversion of zombie movies. And I just don't think it does that faithfully. I think that it hangs on horror stuff to get people in and to keep them from leaving the theater. But all that said, I mean, if you just go in and you just expect it, that's why I said you should listen to this review because then if you go in not expecting any of this stuff, you might really enjoy it. It's not, yeah, like you said, it's a good movie. It's just not the movie we were told we were going to see. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it bugs me. My favorite uh, quote about this movie so far is uh, from Brian Bishop. Um, and he wrote, For a movie that's so full of tension, it's not really scary. <laughs> and I just think that's like, yeah, it is. it's not. Are you going to say something, Bill? Well, no, I just was going to say that, I mean, I didn't have any expectations going in so I, I didn't feel cheated i guess was my biggest thing and also like i've i feel bad because like i can't really argue with maverick because like you just didn't have the same emotional experience i had with it which is not a fault to you it's just that we just had different takeaways from the film and that just ultimately more of a personal thing so i'd say that i mean i i appreciate for what the movie did and i agree that the last act probably could have been a little stronger and like i agree i definitely think the red door could have been something that was like a lingering presence more than it actually was 
But I don't know. I just I really enjoyed this movie, and I feel bad that you guys didn't get the same experience that I did. Uh, I think I think I fell a little bit victim to my own hype too, just because I sure. I love horror movies so much, and I, I like John said, I think the marketing does do a lot, and I, I think that has a lot to do with why we have such different perspectives on the movies. I mean, will you win pretty blind? So. Right. You weren't able to build up a lot of this, you know, this kind of hope that I had. And I think John had going into it for just like a really good horror flick. And know? I want to stress that like my my real problems with the film and what make me judge it as a film, not just say like, you know, marketing plus whatever, is the fact that there is stuff within this movie that does set you up to believe certain things. It's not just, you know, external like studio decisions mm-hmm. because it's oh, the title yeah. too. The title is very misleading. It's a bad title for a movie because you either take it at face value or you have to stretch it to fit what you think this movie is about and Mm -hmm. i don't think it's just not a good fake out i guess is what i'm trying to say i don't think it should have been a fake out at all Mm -hmm. i i think that like you could have still had very effective scenes done to capture the fear that this family has without having to try to suggest that there was this like fear that was going to manifest that to me is where this movie falls short but then, like we've said, it's still a good movie, and I still had a positive experience with the message it was trying to tell. I just didn't think it was compelling enough to make it, uh, you know, a must-see or something that was like, you can't miss this. What it's saying about families and stuff is so amazing. I, I thought that was fine. Not great. I mean, I'm not... I don't disagree with what you're saying. I guess those things that you're talking about just didn't bug me as much as they bothered you guys. Mm-hmm. And I do want our listeners to see the movie, though, just so, if anything, I want them to join in our conversation and take away their <laughs> you, perspectives. You just feel ganged up on. So you yeah, well, it's like, <laughs> I need I someone it. on my team right now. I will say, I said in my review that I think this is the kind of movie that will reward you for watching it multiple times. Mm. Because sure. once you know what's going to happen, once you know what this movie actually is, I, I think that there might be value to, like, revisiting it because it's worth seeing just the physical act of looking at this movie is great i would see it again you know yeah and i have like i have certain theories about what the ending was that in my opinion might like improve it a little bit maverick doesn't buy them um but i i there there are certain things that i believe like i have this theory that the prop that the uh the dream the nightmare sequences are kind of like miniature prophecies and that there are ways that you can sort of determine like what was really going on in the third act by them um, we, right. we do agree on that. We talked about that a little bit. Oh, did you agree with that part? Yeah. yeah. There, yeah. there was, a, well, I guess there was an aspect of it though, where you were like, you were raising some doubts. No, no, it was just about the the specific last dream sequence where you thought okay. that one was fully real. That was the one where I was like, no, but For I do time, think I that they were hinting towards what was coming. Um, did you have anything else you wanted to bring up about this one, Bill? Oh, I mean, I just want to talk more about like the like technical stuff that I really like. Like I love the score to this movie. Ooh, great score. Yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was a great score. I mean, you talked about the shot, the cinematography. Oh, you didn't think the score was that great, John? Um, I'd have to listen to it again. There was nothing that really hmm. stuck out. That's good, though. But there, there were actually... I'll, I'll, I take that back. The first act, there were a couple of like... Uh, or no, yeah, as the, at the end of the first act when the, the family is starting to become a thing or you have these connecting uh, shots with Joel Egerton's character. Oh, the montage? There's No, 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 no before that. Like the parts, oh, okay. there's like a... There was a, a drum beat score mm. that I really yeah. liked. So yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I thought all the performances were really good. I mean, we talked a little bit about like uh, Joel Egerton and the kid that played Travis and stuff, but we also have Elvis's granddaughter. What's her name? Riley. Ky- What's her last name? K e o u g h. I don't know how yeah. to say that. 
Did you know she's married to the Doof Warrior from Mad Max? No. Interesting. Oh. Random. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but uh, I thought she did a really good job. Um, I was really impressed by the little uh, Andrew kid. Um, yeah, I mean, I thought all the performances really stood out. And I, I mean, yeah, I would say that probably the script was not on par with like the technical stuff, but I mean, everything around it. I think I just really liked it as like a film going experience more than anything. I liked, I liked yeah. how it took the piss out of zombie movies, personally. Yeah, for sure. I, I really did you guys see. Did you guys see The Girl with All the Gifts? Mm-mm. Nope. Okay. That was another zombie movie that came out last year that kind of did similar things where it severed it in similar I've heard ways. about that one. I've, I've heard some people compare the two movies and say that that one is, they consider that one better. Some people say this one is hmm. better. Um, I'd have to check it out. To, see, to I, like the, I like this one a little more because I remember thinking with The Girl with All the Gifts, like the first act was like just tremendous. And then once they kind of leave this enclosure that they establish, it just kind of muddles itself down a bit. Yeah. Whereas this one, I thought it was more consistent. So I gotta say, you know, it kind of breaks my heart to come down on this movie because I, when we were when we were just starting it up, and uh, by the way, I really liked because there were subtitles in our screening, which for me is <laughs> oh, really? like it's like the John uh, Thomas right there. Yeah, for those of you who don't know, I'm hearing impaired, so like I have a hard time in a lot of movie theaters. I was surprised it wasn't A just for that. <laughs> <laughs> I I really like when the movie was starting up and just how it begins what they're doing with just little little touches so good just little things like everybody has like a different glass half full on the table there, there are just so many little things where you're like man this is a director who really is putting oh yeah some effort the into size this. of the meal like all that stuff and i was just yeah and i was just looking at this and I'm like i feel like it's been m- months since i've seen a movie with this kind of caliber behind it mm-hmm. you know and, and there have been a couple of movies in the past couple months that have been great but this was just on on its own in some of those areas so for I guess that's why I'm coming down so hard on it because I really held it to a high standard as it was unfolding, not just before I went in to go see it. So for those reasons, it's not a movie that I can say is like, don't watch it. You'll, you'll ruin your life. But I, I do yeah. think people should manage their expectations. And I really think this is another case of like edge of tomorrow. Just give your movie a different title. Sure. Okay. I mean, I just don't, I didn't feel bamboozled by it the way you guys did but if you feel bamboozled then that's i can't you know fault that i mean that that's just your experience uh, bill so. action should find a way to say bamboozled in every episode bamboozled yeah for sure let's uh let, let's wrap up with our final thoughts and grades uh starting with you maverick Hines, what do you grade it comes to mind you know what i actually haven't even thought about this yet because on the cuff, I'm the cuff. so conflicted. Do you want us to go first? No, no, I'm gonna do it. Okay. I'm gonna talk you guys through my process. You're gonna lead me there. Cine sobriety. You okay. You're gonna be my cine sponsors through my cine sobriety action okay. right here. Give you a little pen. Just remember, I'm not mad at you, no matter what. <laughs> it's not your fault. Um, <laughs> yeah. Don't do that to me, man. <laughs> um, so here's here's where I'm at, and I've said all this, so I'm not gonna go deep mm-hmm. again. But the movie was beautiful, and I I really appreciated all the technical skill and attention to detail that went in. I think since becoming a cinemaholic, that has been the best attention to detail cinema. You're not easily pleased. I'm not, especially with score. I'm not. Brian McComber, I don't have to pronounce it. Brian McComber is the guy who did the score. He did a fantastic job. So all that stuff is like, that's best movie I've seen so far this year on those Ooh. levels. Okay. Yeah, I like it. And when it comes to, as John helped me realize story, not plot, um, like I said, I was really disappointed. So I don't know where to put that. Cause if it was like, if, if the stuff that bothered me was as good as the stuff I loved, it'd be like an A, no problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like I've been just giving out B's easy. You know what I mean? I don't like that. 
but I want, I don't know. I just, I don't know where I'm at. I'm so conflicted. Yeah, I, I hear so your me. grade is as, is as ambiguous as this movie. Yeah. My grade is like a feather. <laughs> it's just some weird white girl tattoo. I don't know. Um, wow. <laughs> I think, I think here's where I'm at. I'm going to give it two grades because I don't know how to pick. It's either an A minus for me or a B minus for me. <laughs> like, Whoa, I can't tell. It's one of those two. And it changes every moment. I'm glad you're not like my high school teacher. Yeah. I'd right. say, okay, here's that's where I believe it. With for technical s- stuff and attention to detail and visually A minus. For the stuff I didn't like, B minus. That's cheap, that's but that's grade. all I've got. Not, you're, so what's your average then is a B. B plus. I'm giving it a B plus then. All right. There you go. Leave me alone, right Um for me I I give this movie a B. Uh, for some of the same reasons you point out uh, story problems and I, I honestly think that like uh, I, I really take titles seriously I, I think that what you name your movie is really important and I can let a movie get sure. away like uh, movies can really get away with bad titles because if the movie itself is great but when it kind of ruins your film going experience that's where I kind of take it into account and uh, a lot of other things in this movie that kind of felt short for me bad, really weak third act but because of so much prowess going on here and the fact that you know, ultimately, this is a movie that I could uh, that could I could like a little bit more uh, if I watched a few more times. Uh, I think a B is a, a pretty fair grade in this case. What about you, Bill? Uh, yeah, I'm gonna give it an A minus without any caveat. I agree. I'd say that. I mean, you guys keep talking about its ambiguity and you know it's deciding to trick you and all that stuff. I mean, for me personally, that's what I liked about it. I liked that it wasn't straightforward. I liked that it wasn't so willing to kind of play by the rules but at the same time it's a fairly straight it's also a very not straightforward a very simple movie it's it is. very kind yeah. of uh you know like it, it presents a very you know kind of simple setup and you know even though we're a very familiar genre it doesn't really play with the same expectations that you'd get from those genres so i mean i don't know i just everything like i also really like the editing i didn't mention that before i mean there's just so much about this movie i really liked and i don't know i mean I can understand your cabots and I can understand your criticisms and I don't think they're invalid, but to me, I wasn't bothered by them that much and I thought ultimately it was a very good film going experience. So yeah, A minus for me. And you know, to your, to your point, you know, you're a big fan of movies that are good with nihilism or do nihilism very well. So I can see why the ambiguity wouldn't bother you because I mean, your other yeah. favorite movie this year is I don't feel at home in this world anymore, which isn't, right. which is as nihilistic as it gets really. Um, but yeah, I'm a nihilistic guy. <laughs> so that's basically a B plus average for us. Which for me, you know, even though we've said a lot of negative things, I think is as good a reason as any for you guys to go check it out. Go see it. So uh, yeah. Hey there, Cinemaholics. Shortly after we recorded this week's show, the news broke that actor Adam West passed away at age 88. West was, of course, the star of ABC's Batman, the live action series that would pave the way for DC Comics and the cultural zeitgeist, and for that reason and many others, his legacy won't soon be forgotten. On behalf of all of us at Cinemaholics, we're incredibly sad to say goodbye to such a legend who entertained his fans long after the Batman series ended in 1969. Many of us know him, of course, from his memorable performance as the Great Ghost in Batman the Animated Series, and his recurring role on Family Guy and many other appearances since. Wes is survived by his wife, six children, five grandchildren, and two great-grandchildren. All right, so unfortunately, so we're going to talk about The Mummy, of course, uh, Universal's Dark Universe movie, but Maverick didn't watch the movie. He's gone now. He'll be back later for mini-reviews. So we decided to bring in 
a friend of the podcast who this is his debut. I'm really excited to bring on Andy Herndon Hello. from the Dcast. Yes, thank you. Andy. I, I've really been wanting to get you on for a while now. Um, it's great to I think this is the first time you're podcasting with Bill Action, also known as Will Ashes. <laughs> yes, long long time listener, first time on the show. Yeah. And of course, for people who don't know what you do, can you just give us a quick spiel on your podcast, The Decast? Uh, of course, you guys brought on the Disney guy to talk about the mummy, but uh, my name is Andy Herndon. I've uh, ho- been hosting The Decast, which is a podcast where I cover all things Disney, including Pixar, Marvel, and Star Wars. We talk about the parks. Uh, what we really talk about movies have a whole section where we talk about the box office rundown and how that fits into the larger Disney Universe, because if Disney is anything, it's based on the movies, it's based on the film. So if you love Disney, Pixar, Marvel, Star Wars, um, yeah, come and check it out. We've had you on the show a few times, John. If you like Pixar stuff. We... Yeah, avoid those episodes. <laughs> You've heard me I'm, 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 I'm trying to get a, kind of a, a Super John episode coming up here with Cars 3 with John Carlin and you. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, hopefully that's coming up. Uh, my favorite thing about the DCAS is when you guys talk about the parks, personally. So... Really fun, really fun podcast. Definitely recommend checking out. But we're talking about The Mummy. This is your audition, Andy. Maybe, and maybe we can get you on to talk about Disney, which is more your wheelhouse. Yes. So The Mummy, uh, this is a PG-13 movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so pretty standard, you know, action, you know, blockbuster summer movie. Not very long, just under two hours. And here's the IMDb synopsis. An ancient princess is awakened from her crypt beneath the desert, bringing with her malevolence, grown over millennia in terrors that defy human comprehension. This was directed by Alex Kurtzman. Uh, he's mostly known for co-writing a lot of movies over the years, a lot of franchise movies with Robert Orchie, but the mm-hmm. two have basically stopped being a writing team, and this is his second movie directing after People Like Us, which I suspect will you, or sorry, Bill, you've seen this one? Yeah. Like us? I saw it back when it came out, but I don't remember it too well. I remember it being like very like average. Like it was cu- fine, like for what it was, but it was basically like a feel good 90s movie and nothing much else. So yeah. It, I'm 50% positive I did see it and I've forgotten everything about it. That's, that's fair. Hmm. That's pretty much how I feel about this movie at this point. <laughs> well, speaking of which, uh, this movie has a lot of writing credits. And just to get into it, uh, Christopher McQuarrie, great screenwriter mm-hmm. who did Mission Impossible Rogue Nation with Tom Cruise, Jack Reacher with Tom Cruise, two movies that I really, really like. Mm-hmm. He he basically did the story, is how it's being reported. Mm-hmm. He did the screenwriting. Then they decided, hey, let's bring in six other writers. Yeah, yes, it's five other writers. <laughs> yeah, so Alex Kurtzman was one of them, too. And... My goodness, uh, this movie definitely shows. Mm-hmm. It stars Tom Cruise, uh, Russell Crowe, Annabelle Wallace, and Sophia Batella. Oh, and Jake Johnson, Yes, uh, we should mention. So that's the setup. Uh, let's go around the table and talk. give our general impressions, starting with our guest, of course. Andy, what was your general impression of The Mummy going into First of all, I was so excited about this. I, I love those old classic horror movies. I remember as a kid going to the, my public library in Las Vegas and like checking out the old original Dracula, Mummy, Invisible Man, all those films. So for me, I was nostalgic about it, uh, not yeah. in an 80s modern kind of way, but I, I, I love this because it was a part of my childhood, these classic films. So to get that back with a new modern twist on it. I was really excited about it, that Universal was really kind of taking this, and the whole, like, I got real chills when the whole Dark Universe thing came up at the beginning of the film, so quickly disappointed, though. Um, <laughs> quickly was like, well, I should, I, I stayed up late to go see, like, a, a 10 o'clock showing Thursday night, and I'd wish I'd just gone to bed. 
Um, there's a good story in there. I think the base story is good. The setup for the universe is good. Everything else from Tom Cruise's performance to the editing, which drove me insane, to the directing, to the lack of tone, which really I think comes from the fact that you had seven writers on this film, made the whole thing a mess. The costuming, um, Sophia Botella's costume was just... It was it was awful. Um, I will say Sophia Botel was a, a a bright spot for me. What she was able to convey mm-hmm. uh, through just you know her inflection, you know, speaking you know a different language. I'm assuming Egyptian, ancient Egyptian, through her body language yeah. and tone and looks. She did an excellent job. She was a huge bright spot She's for me. She's always a good villain. Yes, yeah. Um, but like Tom Cruise, it, it th- th- he was the same that I've seen him in the last you know five films he's been in. Jake Johnson, I, yeah, I couldn't, I, he was more of his character from the new girl for me, and I, he was kind of a throwaway character for me, I didn't understand, there's no backstory on Tom Cruise's character, which I was, that really kind of hurt, I think, I, I didn't really know his motivation, yes, he's kind of, he's a soldier, but what else, so yeah, it was bad. Hmm. All right, well, Bill Action, uh, Tell, tell us, I mean, I, I have a feeling we're all kind of similar in our laments for this movie. That's my my impression so far. Yeah. But uh, what, 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 what do you think about this one? Yeah, I mean, I didn't go in with the same expectations. I just kind of went in hoping for the best, but pretty much expecting the worst, especially after all the negative press that's come out this week. But, I mean, yeah, like, I think you really hit the nail on the head when you're saying, like, this movie just has no consistent tone. It has no real mm-hmm. structure whatsoever. It's definitely a movie that's directed by a producer because there's, like, a ton of set pieces. (laughs) But, like, it just, like, it moves like a subway train. Like, it just, like, goes, like, no, like, it just always forward motion with no momentum or pacing or anything. And just, like, it's just so sloppy. And But the only thing I would take a little umbrage with is I didn't mind uh, Tom Cruise's performance. I thought he was perfectly fine for what he needed to do. It's just that he didn't really have much direction other than be, like, Indiana Jones. Yeah, more yeah, or less. Yeah, yeah I can just like, yeah, but I mean, yeah, everything else. Like, I think I liked Sophia Patella. I thought she was a great screen presence, and I wish they did more with her. And I thought Russell Crowe was pretty good. I mean, like, he's basically the Nick Fury of this new cinematic universe, and mm-hmm. he did what he needed to do. And I thought Annabelle Wallace, at least for like the first twenty-five minutes, was better than I expected because I thought the movie was just going to treat her as a pretty face, and she had a little bit of agency at the beginning that I kind of liked. But other than that. Um, you disagree with that, John? Uh, sorry, I had to audibly <laughs> everything her character wasn't is during that movie. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, mostly she is not a good character. But at first, I thought there was like potential there. I was like, yeah, like it, it's more than I expected. Then just like once that plane scene happened, it was like she just became nothing of a character. And this movie just like felt like a whole lot of nothing, like in a way that like a '90s like studio movie. Is just like a conglomeration of like different generic things. It yes. just wasn't much of anything. Yes. But, and that's ironic because like the 90s or early 2000s, I forget when the other mummy came out with Brandon Fraser. That's like a. 99. That's a genuinely like fun movie. Like it's not. It uh, is. Mm-hmm. It's not great, but it's fun. Like it's enjoyable. It's pulpy. It has. It's like a good sense of heart to it. And this is just the complete opposite. It just felt like a studio mandate where everyone was just like kind of expected to do whatever they signed to the bottom line and it just was an endurance like it's just tedious to watch a side note i I think the brendan fraser mummy is what i think indiana jones kingdom of the crystal skull should have been yeah Um, it should have been like a bigger better version of the indiana jones Hmm. movies because it was obviously 
pulling from it. And this movie pulls from the Indiana Jones stuff too a little bit. Uh, I'm a little bit more on Andy's side when it comes to Tom Cruise. I think that it's it's not that it, he has an offensively bad character here. It's just that he we've seen this character so many times yes. before. Sure, and, yeah. And I don't think they made up their minds on what to do with him. Was he? A, no, it, I agree. There are moments when he's like, oh, he's a con man. You know, he's a thief. But also, he's a military guy. Mm-hmm. I never once believed for a moment that this guy had ever been through basic training. It's it, which is ironic because not ironic but coincidental with Edge of Tomorrow where he's the PR guy for yeah. that, you know, and he gets like thrust into a military operation. I, I think that that's a little, that's so much closer to what we would expect from an actor of his age and his physicality. Like I don't know, they didn't pick the right lane with him. They tried to do so many things with him that I didn't There are so many comparisons uh, to Uncharted that I, oh, yeah, I was no, looking at some thinking. of the reactions and it's so I, I, I thought that I had thought of it because I've been replaying the Uncharted games very recently and I love those games and it's true you do kind of get that feeling like they they are sort of trying to like co-opt the tone of Uncharted which is a modern day like adventure hunting crazy you know the, there's magic evident in that world and everything and the Annabelle, Annabelle Wallace character is clearly ripped from the Elena character there. Uh, anyway, that said, my general impression, I, I think I was in between Will and Andy on expectations, like right there in the middle because I went in. I wasn't expecting the worst. I was expecting kind of like – I think Alex Dowd uh, said it best. He tweeted that he thought this movie was just run-of-the-mill bad. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what I was expecting. I think it's a little worse than that. And yeah. I coming away from this, I, I think what bothered me the most, and there's a lot of stuff we can get into, a lot of stuff you guys have already covered. Uh, obviously, the dialogue is very bad. The exposition is very bad. The voiceover at the very beginning that treats you like a toddler for and like just throws the entire backstory of characters at you is bad. It's just bad. It, it's not good. It's not imaginative or creative. And it just made me feel kind of dumb. I had this like feeling because like I, I had a feeling this might happen, right? So I bought a whole bunch of popcorn because <laughs> I was like, if I'm just going to eat. The problem is I ran out of popcorn <laughs> and then I was just left with nothing. And that happened really fast. So that said, my biggest issue with this one is just the desperation to build a franchise. Yes. Mm-hmm. It just it just bothers me. Like I want a story. And Alex Kurtzman proves here that he's not a storyteller. He's a guy who has who can come up with ideas, uh, as Andy said, for set pieces. He's somebody who's very experienced with building franchises, mm-hmm. but he's not an uh, to me. And I don't want to say this as like a negative thing. He's not an artist. He's not a director. Like uh, he's not a director. He this is his second film, and honestly, it really shows. And like it, it's not just about being a director, but like you also have to like have a sense of like. I don't get this feeling that he has a story that he wants to tell. Right. He just sort of takes what the screenwriters give him and just blasts it out there without any without making it his own. Um, and I think that plays into the tone of thing that you guys were saying. Mm-hmm. So that coupled with the fact that this that just again the desperation of like it, it, the logo, for example, was right when this movie took a turn for me <laughs> because that was so desperate. I mean, it was just. It, it, again, it plays into that, like, you're so dumb, we have to tell you that this movie is in a continuity with other movies before we've even justified. And I, I, I saw this tweet that nails it. These studios should not start talking about franchise movies until they make one good movie. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Wait, make a good movie and we'll talk. But all of this, like putting like two feet forward on a big, going all in on a franchise, risking it all, I, it it just it's just not a way to make a film. It, it's a way to make a quick buck, mm-hmm. maybe. And and as we're seeing from the Mummy, it's not even doing that. It's it's flopping hard at the box mm-hmm. office right now. Uh, I don't even know where to go from there because I I do want to say one thing. One one reason I think I had a little bit more hope going into this than the Bill action was because the, just the the tagline of the film, uh, "Welcome to a new world of gods and monsters." I was like, "Oh, Bride of Frankenstein. Yeah. Maybe they are putting together something here that's going to be different. You know, that's it, that is going to go back to the you know the awesome monster movies from the 1930s." And uh, unfortunately, it doesn't quite do that. So, yeah, that's that's my spiel. Uh, okay. A lot of stuff to talk about here. Obviously, we're not going to spoil anything. But can we? Let's talk about something we did like. Let's let's go there. Um, Andy, was there anything in the Mummy that you do want to sort of shine a light on uh, that you haven't already? Uh, the two, I, I kind of already shined a light on this. I mean, Russell Crowe, I think, did fine. Um, Sophia Batella, I, I really, her, she did an excellent job. I really thought her performance was mm-hmm. solid. Who has really no dialogue? Who has to communicate through inflection and body language was was great. Um, and then, uh, the, the, the overall story was, was really like just the core of it. Like it's kind of like for me, like you, t- you take the prequel, the star Wars prequels. If you just tell someone a little five minute synopsis of all three, that actually sounds pretty good until you, you put it on film and then it's awful. I think the, the main concept, the core of it's there and good. It just, it was fleshed out horribly by someone who doesn't know how to tell a story. Um, mm-hmm. So I think there was so much potential there, and it was just lost. Um, other than that, I mean, th- there was really no redemption for this film for me at all. Can I can I re- request that? I really want to know why you guys cared for the Russell Crowe performance, because I got nothing from it. Well, I thought he had a certain gravitas to it that not many other actors, especially of his like age and caliber, could really do, I think. I could barely understand what he was saying. Oh, really? No, I could understand yeah, perfectly. To me, his whole shtick was like, look, I'm that character you sort of recognize brought to life. There was nothing like, I don't know. I, I, I just was watching him like ham it up as Dr. Hyde. And I'm just like, okay. Like they, there was nothing interesting about it for me. I, I don't know. I, what I, I, guess, I guess for me, it, it wasn't bad. Like it was sufficient. Like I, I was convinced that who he was, Dr. Jekyll, I was convinced by it. He didn't, I wasn't like, like, uh, I was all right. That was good. I, I believe that he is Dr. Jekyll. And you know, turning into Mr. Hyde, and yeah, it wasn't it wasn't some you know bright star of the of the film, but it was not a low point. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but you say hamminess like it's a bad thing, but I think like someone I think it was Crave Online was pointing out that like this movie would have been so much better if they got someone like Sam Raimi involved to direct. And oh, like oh, I yeah. think, yes. and I think like that like that scene in particular, like if he gave the same performance and then like. Sam Raimi got the chance like to uh, do a lot of fun camera work. I think that scene would be an absolute blast. But just because Alex Kurtzman, his every like one of his shots are so static and plain that it's just such a boring looking movie for like the majority of it. I guess that's where I'm getting at is like the action scenes, especially with him, they all devolve into just slugfests that yeah. aren't very yeah. fun to watch and don't have any tension. So that's I guess that's why I was like a little unaffected. 
But I guess I can I, I can sort of see why you guys would see potential mm-hmm. more in that because the performance I guess you could say the performance wasn't necessarily bad. I guess what they did with it and where it exists. I'm really sick of the secret societies trope. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, no, being that's yeah. mishandled. I'm so like I get it. You sh- you should use the secret society trope, but if you're gonna do it, do something. You know, like don't just give us another like Assassin's Creed, you know, Avengers Shield thing. It's so played out at this point. Yeah. Was it called Prodigium or whatever? The pro- yeah, something strange. I can't yeah. remember. Um, I I like the idea of like yeah, we're like you know, I it made me think like what if there was like a Van Helsing you know uh, secret society of like monster hunters, but like what they like bring to it is like okay, but they're all just like really macho looking dudes with machine guns. That's yeah, and here are a bunch of Easter eggs for other movies we're never going to make. And I think, too, that there, there was no back on the Secret Society. There was no backstory. How did this come about? I mean, they couldn't even throw in like a montage to let us know how this happened, unless they're planning on doing some sort of you know prequel to it, which we don't need. Yeah, but they chose I, – I, I think that's good that you bring that up. The, the world building here lacks a lot of interesting world building. Oh, yeah. The, the things that they chose – to give backstories to, like I think it was already mentioned, like the Tom Cruise character's backstory is never really hinted at. Exactly. Where did where this secret society came from, and like there are cool things he could have done with that. That wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, why does Tom Cruise's character? Why did why does he have? Uh, you know, he's a military man who's on a quest to find antiquities and make a buck. Kind of your your Han Solo Indiana Jones character, and he's just there. And I'm like, okay, why, what's his motivation for this? And we don't see well, that. Also, at all. Indiana Jones is not like a sergeant. I, I, all the military stuff, I thought was a really weird story decision because, right. first of all, you you have such a perfect vehicle for making that entire first act make sense because it doesn't make sense at mm-hmm. all. For a guy who should be court-martialed mm-hmm. uh, to be entrusted with this, like, mission. And then – but if he worked for, like, a private military, yeah. I would have bought that completely, right? Like, if they had made this, like, Blackwater or something, mm-hmm. like, some sort of, like, private military group that's sort of, like, in cahoots with Prodigium, then you can actually, like, you know, put some, uh, like, intrigue into this. And I could be like, oh, like, where is this going? But instead, they sort of – the, the plot holes in here, everything from like how plane crash, the plane crash happens, a body turns up here, uh, two people go to investigate something. Like, <laughs> there's just so many weird mo- setting moments that make no sense. It com- routinely took me out of the movie. Mm-hmm. I think of the whole movie, the first act is probably the worst. Yes. Agreed. Oh, yeah. Uh, it, it, it is so oh, cringy bad. It, it gets a little bit better in the second act. I think to y'all's credit, Russell Crowe showing up is a good improvement, and the third act is whatever. Yeah. There's such a huge tonal shift, though, from the first act to the second half. You know, you're in, you're, you're you're in the middle of the you know Iraqi desert, and it's bright, and the the, the color palette's a certain way, and then boom, you're in London, and and movies can pull that off. I mean, we saw that in Wonder Woman. You know, um, <laughs> yeah. we, they they were in the bright the island there, you know, and Tomascara, and then boom, they're in London, but there's still that same color palette there. Here it was like I'm in a completely different movie in the second act, just from the the way the, it looked and it was directed and the cinematography, and it really kind of it was jarring almost. All right. Well, uh, was there anything you wanted to add, Bill? Action? Uh, any anything that you want to? Maybe it doesn't even have to be a good thing, but just something like, how are you feeling right now? Well, no, I was just thinking about the beginning and just like I think one way they could have really made this fun is if, like you said, they took away the military stuff. And like, like, what if they just started like that scene like with him in the morgue, 
And he like wakes yeah. up. And it's like, how did this happen? And then we have a montage of him a with prologue, Jake. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and then a montage with him and Jake Gyllenhaal, all their different adventures. So you establish like they're like these guys who've gone like around the world. It's like Ishtar kind of plot. And then you get them in this like action scene. Like you set it up. Like they like, are in a bar, or whatever, and they hear about the secret thing, and then they get in a shot, and then they find this tomb thing, and then the government comes in, and then he meets that girl. And I don't know, it just feels like simple things they could have done to make this a better film. And like you said, just like the structure and the way they paced it is just completely off. It's just a complete tonal mess and narrative. Also, mess. yeah, the forced humor. Oh, I, yeah. My goodness. <laughs> it was like a robot wrote jokes. Like, literally, you have Tom Cruise in a life-or-death situation, and out of nowhere, he's like, not my face. <laughs> and It's like... It's like their lesson they learned from the Marvel movies is like, yeah, juvenile middle school humor. That's what the kids want. Yeah. And also there's like a bunch of weird jokes with Jake Gyllenhaal's character that like I was like half the time like, is this supposed to be funny? Or it's like, am I supposed to feel bad that like so this thing happened to Jake Gyllenhaal? And then like they have this whole like weird Jake thing. Jake Gyllenhaal? That, or sorry. Jake uh, Johnson, yeah. Sorry, Jake Johnson, yeah, yeah. my bad. I wish Jake Gyllenhaal thing, like, was in it. <laughs> The th- where they take Jake Johnson's storyline, that's another thing that Sam Raimi could have done so well, like, especially at that one scene in the bathroom. It, because they're w- clearly ripping uh-huh. off, like, an, an American the, werewolf in London, yes. right? So, like, Sam well, Raimi yeah, could yeah. have actually, like, infused some creativity into that. But instead, we just get a copy of it, and it's not really interesting. But I see what you're saying. Yeah, and just, like, that scene, too, is just, like, so badly edited. Like, the whole movie is just terribly edited. Can we talk about like, the editing? Like, Yeah, it's, it's honestly some of the worst editing I've seen in, like, a studio movie in a long time. There was, the, there was one point during the scene where they're in the car and they're being chased and he's fighting he's he's fighting Sophia Patel's character Tom Cruise's and I'm counting the edits like I'm not even getting a full second like half second three quarter second edits to where I was seriously getting car sick and that was an, oh, that's an old 90s trope um mm-hmm. yeah and it's like why do we need this and I'm never in that scene at all because I'm constantly being jarred and the whole second and third acts were that way just boom 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 and to where I was completely taken out and I don't know who they had to edit this thing I felt like they were just trying to cover up bad cinematography because it was... I think, yeah, I think most of this movie was made in post-production. Ugh. Yeah. And uh, I, I will say, one one thing about that car chase scene that I did enjoy, the the one comedic moment that worked for me is watching Tom Cruise like go up to like beat up the mummy girl. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Annabelle Wallace is like cheering him on and then she just like knocks him kick out his a, Kick his ass, kick his yeah, and I was like, why couldn't they have just got like why couldn't when that scene was filmed where they be like, let's re- let's redo this? Like yeah. <laughs> there's something to that that is a little bit more like let's add a you know, we already have no grasp on logic or physics, so why don't we just go all the way with that? Also, t- uh Tom Cruise being thrown around all over the place was another thing that just reminded me of like Bruce Campbell and the Evil Dead movies. So like this whole time I just yeah. kept thinking of like Sam Raimi. It's just complete nonsense in gives, like the worst way. It, Mm-hmm. It gives Nicole Kidman and Katie Holmes a reason to watch the movie. Hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, um, okay, uh, so I, th- I think we covered a lot of stuff here. Um, I-, I think the only other thing, uh, I-, I don't really want to speculate too much on what this really means for Dark Universe. It it takes more than one bad movie to sort of derail a franchise. I don't know how. I don't know what the case is going to be with this one. It could be another Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be another. Uh, I'm kind of blanking on any other franchise that started off this poorly, but John I mean, Carter. Uh, but then you know John Carter isn't getting another movie. So. Yeah, right. That's what my I mean. point is that well, I can't think of another yeah. like big movie franchise that started so poorly but then still kept going. 
Uh, well, I mean, you could. I mean, I, I don't agree with it, but you could say Batman v Superman. Some well, would, some would say that. Yeah. Man, man of Steel, man of Steel was okay. You know. Yeah, it wasn't bad. And it made no, money. I love Man of Steel. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but, but like the yeah. franchise itself was like it kicked off more with Batman v Superman yeah. than Man of Steel. But I get what you mean. Yeah, yeah the Mummy's gonna uh, lose money. It's well, right. It's gonna lose yeah. money probably with a marketing yeah. budget. Uh, it's 125 million to make, uh, unless the international audience is just really in a Tom Cruise. I, I'm not saying it's impossible, but well, Tom you know. Cruise hasn't really had a hit in the past couple years, right? Uh, well, Mission, Mission Impossible. Impossible yeah. Oh, that, yeah, that's true. Yeah, hit. but like outside uh, of that, uh, you know, Edge of Tomorrow wasn't. You know, it didn't take the world by storm. That, but that, it didn't. That, that was an underrated movie. Then. Yeah. No, it was a good movie. I mean, box office wise. Box, office, box wise, office wise. Yeah, but it is getting a sequel. Um, I think the second Jack Reacher movie wasn't a hit at all, and I no. can't think of anything else he's made recently. So. Uh, yeah, that's about. Uh, it. Did he make a 2016 movie? Uh I'm. If he did, I've I've already forgotten. Oh, yeah, it was the Jack Reacher too. Yeah, wasn't that this year though? No, that was last year. That was last year. That was November. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, we so got Top Gun too. Yeah. We got Top Gun two to look forward to, guys. So <laughs> oh, thank it's goodness. Good. That's is, when is that coming out? Uh, they're filming it uh, soon, I guess. Yeah, like they, yeah, they're starting year now. Or something. They're saying 2018. Yeah. Yeah. It was ridiculous. Oh, my 2008. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that almost makes me want to just stop talking about the mummy altogether and start talking start talking about the Black Panther movie. But yeah, oh well. Let's uh, let's get into our final thoughts and grades. Uh, I think we've definitely had a good convo here, and uh, I think it's time to just let them wrap know what it we up. Really think. <laughs> yeah, there. It, uh, I got it. All right. Uh, so Andy, uh, final thoughts. What what is your what is your grade on this one? Final thoughts. I haven't lost hope for the the Dark Universe. I think there's a good story there if they can get a, a showrunner type person, a Kevin Feige type guy to really get his hands on this. An architect. An architect, really. Um, even like an Edgar Wright, I think, could do, do wonders for this if they can get him on board. Um, but they probably won't. Uh, over, probably overall, um, I still have hope for the universe. This movie is... I'm going to say C minus just because I'm holding on hope for the universe. And I saw some potential there. Um, very little potential C minus. I want to say D plus, but I'm going to say C minus. All right. All right. Um, that, that makes me wonder too. Like uh, some people are calling this the worst Tom Cruise movie ever made. I, I don't think I would go that far, but uh, I don't know what you guys think of that. Uh, I'm trying to think like what would be the worst one though. That's that's the thing. There's yeah. there's definitely a lot to pick from. <laughs> yeah, like but um, like I've never been a big fan of Eyes Wide Shut. To be honest, I know. Oh, I like Eyes Wide Shut. I know some. I, it just never was for me. Um, I guess Cocktail is is probably one that I would think of, and uh, mm. I never saw it. Oh, that's a guilty pleasure for me. I uh, yeah, that Mission Impossible Two. Yeah, that's probably it. That's, that's yeah. another one. Yeah, that's probably the uh, worst for me. Uh, either way, uh, okay. Uh, Bill Action, final thoughts and your grade? Yeah, I'm right there. Uh, I just think it's yeah, it's like a C minus. It's just like I want it, I want to give it the benefit of the doubt because I do think like Andy was saying there is potential there for some good sequels in this vein that are done with actual directors that have visions as opposed to just a studio just telling a bunch of producers to do whatever. And but as far as this movie is concerned, it just feels like a whole lot of nothing. And it's just not a good step forward. If it's the end of the franchise, good, I guess. But if it's the start of something, I just really hope they get their bearings. So I'm going to give it 
a low C minus. Hmm. I'm really shocked, and uh, I also gave this movie a C minus. Uh, we all picked the same grade. That's a very rare Cinemaholics nice. thing, a triple threat. But yeah, I think C minus is the way to go because you you can't discount the f- there, that there are things in this movie that work. Uh, they may not be well executed or anything. And I almost I, I was actually thinking of giving this movie closer to like a C average, uh, simply on the merits of like yeah, bad screenwriting, bad editing, but pretty nice visuals, you know, for the most part. And mm-hmm. you know, there there were good ideas here. There there was a way I could conceivably see this movie being enjoyable for some people. But uh, just the desperation of the franchise building just really knocks it down a bit uh, extra for me. And I only see that C minus getting lower. I don't. Mm-hmm. Think I, I don't know if mm-hmm. I can ever. I would never revisit this film. Uh, you'd have to drag me kicking and screaming. So that'll do it for our review of the Mummy. And uh, thank you so much, guys, for for braving it. I, I think <laughs> I think this was a tough one to go out and check out, but I'm glad we did. Yes, thank you for having me on. Hey, Cinemaholics, do you like trailers? Because this week was full of a lot of trailers and some new ones we definitely think you should check out. First, we had a brand new trailer for Pixar's Coco, which comes out on November 22nd this year. Directed by Lee Unkrich, Coco follows the musical adventures of Miguel as he travels to the land of the dead in order to find the ultimate undead family reunion. More recently, we got our first trailer for Marvel's Black Panther, directed by Ryan Coogler. The film opens next February and follows Chadwick Boseman's character T'Challa from Captain America Civil War and centers around his home Wakanda, a secret and technologically advanced African nation where he is destined to rule as king. You can find these trailers and many more on the We Got This Covered YouTube channel, where I personally go to for all movie trailers and TV spots that come out every single day. You can find the new trailers for Murder on the Orient Express, Baby Driver, American May, Transformers The Last Night, uh, many more. So just follow the link in our cinema homework listed in the episode description to get caught up on what's coming soon. All right, let's do our mini reviews. We've got a lot of stuff to get to, and uh, I, I think the best way to start because each of us has just one thing. Um, I'm going to sneak in one extra, you. but I, I think I, I think there are a lot of Orange Is the New Black fans. Mm-hmm. You know, it's one of Netflix's most popular shows with House of Cards. I think it's kind of amazing that it's coming out so soon after House of Cards, the new season. Um, and Maverick, you, you've already checked out a few episodes. What can you tell us? Yeah, I'm, I'm about halfway through this new season and I was also kind of confused when it came out and normally I get notifications Yeah, when stuff come out. I did not get a notification for this I one. did. Oh, okay. I thought it was, I thought it was like a joke. I because... didn't see it. I just saw it on like the, <laughs> yeah. you might want to watch this or whatever. There's been some promotion for this, but I thought it was strange because of House of Cards. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, I don't know, man. It's, I th- so we're at the, you know, one of the most intense parts of the series so far. Season four left off with um, Daya holding a gun to one of the prison guards and they're like on the verge of a riot. So obviously there's a riot happening and I don't want to give away too much. I will say though, not, I'm almost three quarters of the way, halfway somewhere in there and like nothing like spoilers, you know, like I'm, I don't have to tiptoe around anything yet because nothing too crazy has happened. Um, yeah, as somebody I've never seen Orange is the New Black, and I believe Bill hasn't really seen a lot of episodes either. So we're just kind of, you know. Yeah, Will and I talked about it a little bit today. He said it's just not a show that hooks him, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I saw the first three episodes back in season one. I recognized it was a good show, but for some reason, like, it just wasn't, like, grabbing me the way that. Oh, wait, I did like, watch the first episode. Sorry. Okay. 
Yeah, I, I get Same why, why Will, Will say I, that. It didn't grab me. I think it's an acquired taste Bill, kind of show. Sorry. You have to, yeah, Bill Action, don't insult him. Um, but yeah, for, I'm really disappointed so far in the fact that, you know, we're at this, what should be the most intense part of the series so far with a prison riot going on. And I'm like, I'm often bored watching it so far um, just because I'm expecting so much out of what they're doing. Now, there's a lot of good, and I think that's where Orange is the New Black, Orange is the New Black shines a lot of the time, is that there's a lot of good subplot stuff going on there's a lot of good side story and little stuff because they, they they do a really good job of diving into each character individually a lot of the seasons so far have been like an episode's theme will be explaining one specific character's backstory as well as the story of the prison as it's going on so that kind of stuff the show's really good at and that still stands true now they're still doing a great job of these smaller minor details side stories and stuff like that but the main the main story what we're following is just not captivating in what should be the most intense and captivating time. Um, I still think it's worth a watch because I, like, if you're a fan. It's probably yeah, if you like the show, I think you're still gonna like it. Um, and don't take what I'm saying too seriously. Maybe I'm just cynical and bored, but I expected a little bit more. But there's still a lot going on, and, and maybe I just haven't hit the climax, which makes everything make sense so far. Maybe it's just a little bit delayed, and I'm just not there yet. But Fair. I still think it's worth a watch, and you know, it's Orange and New Black. Still, nothing's changed. It's still a good show. Uh, in a similar vein, uh, I just started um, the first episode of Orphan Black Season 5, uh, which premieres, by the time you're listening to this, it'll have premiered because it's going to be on Saturday. And so I watched I watched the premiere, and um, here, here's my thing with Orphan Black. This is a show that if you're, if you're into this show already, it's kind of the same thing as Orange is the New Black. Uh, this, you're, if, just watch it. If it, It's just more of the same. Basically, this is a show that I really like. I think Orphan Black is one of the best shows on television. Tatiana Maslany is one of the best actresses in the business right now. And the work that she does for this show, it's the its the reason to go see it. I don't have a lot to say, except that there were a couple of things in the premiere that I thought were pretty... Uh, they were kind of getting back to what I think we were missing in season four. And uh, there, <laughs> there, there's it's strange because the sh- the first episode, it feels like episode 11 of the last season it doesn't feel it's so serialized at this point it doesn't really feel like it's setting up a season of new stuff it's going back to the well on a lot of ideas it's sort of setting up for what feels more like a premiere so all of that said if you're an orphan black fan there's no reason to miss this one uh i definitely enjoyed it you know had a good time with it as always uh for that show it's all about the characters the characters are the best part uh, and that, of course, is in doing no small part to Tatiana Maslany, just absolutely being just an incredible actress. Uh, Bill, have you ever seen Orphan Black? No, but it's one of those shows that, like, I'll sometimes say to people, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to watch that show at some point. This is one of those shows that, like, it's been on my list for a long time, but I am genuinely interested in getting to it at some point. I really soon, hope that yeah. both of you do. Uh, it's on Amazon Prime, all the first four seasons. They're so bingeable, and they're so much better than a lot of other stuff on right now. I uh, really recommend it. Cool. And then, uh, real quick, I, I watched Batman and Bill, and I'm kicking myself because I was supposed to bring this up last week, and I forgot about it. Um, so, Batman and Bill is this new documentary on Hulu, which is really fascinating. It's about it's about the man Bill Finger, who some of you may know who he is. He's the creator of Batman. Uh, but for decades, uh, for 70, over 75 years, actually way more than that, 
the credit went exclusively to Bob Kane. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very fascinating story for why that is and how that's changed. Uh, how basically they, it's like a detective story itself. Uh, Mark Nobleman, Mark Tyler Nobleman went out and you know, went on a campaign to find out who Bill Finger was. And it's amazing. Like you find out that Bill Finger, he, he created the Batman mythology and got zero credit for it. There's heartbreaking stuff in this documentary. It's a fascinating look at comic books, comic book movies, and one of the most iconic characters of all time um, and how so many people didn't know where that really comes from. It's a great watch, great documentary. Loved it. Highly recommend it. It's on Hulu. And uh, yeah, that's it for me. Bill Action. That's you my saw, name. Don't you wear saw, it out. <laughs> you saw a movie that I have. When I saw the trailer for My Cousin Rachel, I thought it was a, a joke. But Oh, really? <laughs> I really did. This one, a young Englishman plots revenge against his mysterious, beautiful cousin, believing that she murdered his guardian. But his feelings become complicated as he finds himself falling under the beguiling spell of her charms. Well, this is another one, kind of the same as It Comes at Night, where I went in like n- having no idea what this is. The only reason I saw it was just because I had a screening on Wednesday night, and I wasn't doing anything else. And it had also, all I knew about it was that it had Rachel Weiss in it, who I like a lot. I didn't even know that the, the guy from The Hunger Games, Sam Chaflin, was in it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I, just, I went in cold. I knew it was probably like a period piece, but like that's about it otherwise. And... Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll admit up front that, like, period pieces are not really my kind of thing. Like, it's not that I don't... I, I don't dislike them. I just don't really get as much out of them as some other people do. I just find them kind of stuffy and usually a little boring. Uh, and this one, it, it's it's a little stuffy, and it can be boring at times, but mostly it kept my interest, I'll say that much. I mean, it's... <laughs> It's a bit of an underhanded compliment, but okay. Yeah, I mean, but I only say that because I'm just not a fan of the genre. Like, I mean, if I'm trying to approach this from here on out as a, you know, as its own thing. Uh, it's a well-made movie. It's the guy that did, um, oh, what did he do? He did Venus and, like, Notting Hill and, like, Morning Glory. So he has, like, kind of a ecliptic filmography. And it's this is a movie that's, like... Somewhere between a period drama in the vein of, like, you know, like, your Downton Abbey mixed with, like, a period drama in the vein of, like, Woman in Black. It's unsettling, but it's not based in anything in Supernatural. It's more just, like, the terror that you don't know from within. Kind of the same as It Comes at Night. Uh, but it's, yeah, it's it's a fine movie. It's well made, and, you know, it's generally well acted. And, it, I mean, I didn't have any uh, familiarity with the source material. I know it's the author that did Rebecca, the Hitchcock movie. But it's, I don't know, it's just a fine movie. It's like, I, it's a movie I wish I had more to say about it just because it, it really just does everything competently and then, like, that's it. It doesn't really transcend the material or really do anything that, like, makes me, like, go, like, wow, like, that's amazing. Like, it just, it's a well-acted, well-made film that, like, kept my interest for 90 going on two hours, or 90 minutes going on two hours, and that's really about it. Like, it's it's just fine for what it is. It's, like, a perfectly good rental if you kind of like these things, but other than that, I mean, it's it's creepy enough, but it's not really, like, spooky. And it's, you know, it's unsettling at times, but it's not, like... It, it didn't get under my skin the same way that It Comes at Night did. So it was it's really kind of a middle-of-the-road movie with some good performances and some good period designs, but that's really about it. I'll, I'll be honest, I... 
The only reason I want to see this is because I'll basically watch anything with Rachel Weisz in it. Yeah, she's um, great. Even even in movies that I don't particularly like, like The Lobster, she when she Ooh. shows up in that movie is. I I know a lot of people don't like that part of The Lobster, but sure. that salvages the third act for me. So I do want to check this out. I never watched the BBC miniseries right. from this based on this novel. So, and I always wanted to. So th- this seems like a kind of a decent entry point because um, I never read the book either. So uh, I, you you basically sold me on like checking this out on like a streaming platform at some point. I think I'll turn it on for sure. Um, yeah, it's like a B minus for me. Awesome. Well, that's all the time we have on Cinemaholics this week. Thank you so much for hanging out with us the entire episode or skipping to this part because the conclusion is your favorite. Uh, thank you. Uh, don't forget <laughs> that if you like the show and you don't want it to just disappear one day without any explanation, please leave us a review on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts. All you have to do is leave us a review and tell us what you think. We'll give you a special shout out. We really appreciate when you guys give us reviews and let us know what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, and everything else in between. And as always, you can find all of our episodes on iTunes and Apple Podcasts, as well as our YouTube channel on We Got This Covered. You can find um, WGTC Cinemaholics. There's a whole playlist with every episode we've done, um, all the way back to our debut, John Wick Chapter 2 and Lego Batman episode. Still have not seen John Wick Chapter 2. You will eventually. So all that said, thank you again for joining us. Thank you, Soundmaster Maverick Hines and Bill Action. Bill Action, you, you did a heck of a job on your first try. Uh, okay. Thank you. <laughs> and you're confident, too. That's yeah. my favorite part. <laughs> He's here to get it done. <laughs> all right. Uh, also, don't forget to uh, email us all of your feedback to uh, cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com. Hang out with us on Facebook, Cinemaholics, the Facebook page. We'll do our best to entertain you. And that'll do it for this week. From the Internet, California, I am John Agroni. From the Internet, Pennsylvania, I am Will or Bill or whatever name you gave me. It's Bill. It's Bill Action. Uh, You're not Bill in Pennsylvania. Action. You're in Action. Bill. I don't know. And <laughs> I am Soundmaster Maverick Hines, and it's been a pleasure. See you next time. Bye.